morning, Faith Community. I thought I would come down to the shores this morning because the beach is some place that I like to come to, especially when I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling caught up in a mystery that I want to take some time to reflect on. And I also needed to come down to the shores this morning to get my head together because this morning represents an absolute first for me. Uh, this is the first time that I'm ever going to speak on 30 verses in my entire life. I went back through my computer files and everything to see, you know, have I ever taught on so many verses before in my life? And I could not see an example of it. In fact, I found myself thinking, this should be a 12-week series, these 30 verses, but instead we're going to do them this morning in about 15 or 20 minutes because I want to go home after this and have a conversation with a special friend. So let's take a moment and let's hear the words from Scripture from John's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 20 to 50. That's right, 30 verses, 20 to 50. Good morning, faith community. This is Carol Slomka speaking to you from my backyard. Oh, that's right. I don't need to wear my mask. I'm going to read the words from the book of John, chapter 12, starting at verse 20. Now some Greeks were among those who had gone up to worship at the feast. So these approached Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and they both went and told Jesus. Jesus replied, The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The one who loves his life destroys it, and the one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. If anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be too. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is greatly distressed, and what should I say? Father, deliver me from this hour? No, but for this very reason I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard the voice said that it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice has not come for my benefit, but for yours. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now he said this to indicate clearly what kind of death he was going to die. Then the crowd responded, We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. How can you say, The Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus replied, The light is with you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, 
so that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he went away and hid himself from them. Although Jesus had performed so many miraculous signs before them, they still refused to believe in him, so that the word of the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled. He said, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn to me, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess Jesus to be the Christ, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. But Jesus shouted out, The one who believes in me does not believe in me, but in the one who sent me. And the one who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not obey them, I do not judge him, for I have not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not accept my words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him at the last day, for I have not spoken from my own authority, but the Father himself who sent me has commanded me what I should say and what I should speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. Thus the things I say, I say just as the Father has told me. And that is the word from the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I want to thank the lovely Mrs. Slomka for lending her voice again uh, to the morning scripture. Anyways, uh, one of the things that I realize about myself is there's two kind of competing factors in my life. One is I have never really cared for what people think of me. Uh, I want to be a good person, uh, but I don't really care if people agree with me, if they like me. Um, but on the flip side, I can't stand being left out when there's something or someone that I want to meet. So growing up, I was always the pushy kid who on a field trip moved their way to the front because I want to see, I want to see, or I was the pushy, pushy young adult who would move to the front to meet a professor or somebody that I thought I ought to have the chance to meet with. And so I completely resonate with the Greeks who say, I want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Because here is Jesus, and they're starting to pick up on the fact that even as Gentiles, they recognize that Jesus is representing himself to be someone utterly unique, someone with preposterous claims. And so they want to see him for themselves, and yet there's this barrier there. There's this barrier because they're Gentiles, and Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, whom the Jews say they have 
100% eminent domain. They have the property rights, the royalty rights on Jesus. And so the Greeks come up to Philip and they say, we want to see Jesus. Now I happen to think that is still the signature issue of our day. People want to see Jesus. They don't want to see a facsimile of Jesus. They don't want to see people just blabbing words and not living a life like Jesus. But once there is a Jesus-like presence, people want to see Jesus. And so I want to ask three questions this morning. The first two I'm going to announce up front. The first is, if we want to see Jesus, if people want to see Jesus, the first question we have to ask is, how do we know that Jesus wants to be seen? And then the second question off of that is, if Jesus wants to be seen, how do we see Jesus in the 21st century? And I think in these 30 verses, there is a lot here that can reassure us, one, how that Jesus does want to be seen, and two, that there's a way to see him even today. So the first question, how do we know that Jesus wants to be seen? And I made a list of things that I observe in this passage that illustrate the fact that Jesus intends to be seen. The first is in verse 24 when he makes this simile about that he is like the kernel of wheat that unless he falls into the ground, he can't produce much fruit. That's a reference to his death and his resurrection, but specifically, it's, it's a reference to his intention to make himself known to as many people as possible. Secondly, in verse 26, he says he wants to be with his servants, with his friends. He says, if you follow me, where you will be, you will be with me. In verse 32, he says he wants to draw all people to himself. We don't believe that Jesus died for an elect few, that before the foundations of the earth, Jesus intended to only give his life for a minuscule few. Jesus here says that he draws all people. He will somehow make his presence known and make that offer known to all people. In verses 36 and 46, he says he desires us to be children of the light and to be set free from darkness because he has already said that he's the light of the world. Here he talks about walking in the light. And so in this passage, he, he is saying, I want to be with you. In verse 37, John says that he performed many miraculous signs in hopes that people would believe in him. Jesus doesn't perform miracles with the idea that people just give him an indifferent shrug. He performs miracles to capture their attention in hopes that they will come to put their trust in him and want to have a relationship with him. And sixth, Jesus says he has come not to judge, but to save. That's very interesting. Jesus says, even if you don't obey me, I did not come to judge you, but to save you. Those are amazing words because we, we want to say that if people reject Jesus right off the top, that, that, that they're done. They're one and done. But in this passage, Jesus says, I, I didn't even come to judge you. Even if you don't believe me, I did not come to judge you. My purposes here are to save. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a judgment in the future. But it does mean that the purpose of Jesus' time and energy is to save. And, and don't get me started because we could talk about 
how the church behaves more like a judge than an ambassador of salvation, but that's another sermon for another day. And seventh, Jesus says he knows the Father's commandment is eternal life. In verse 50, the end goal of all this is eternal life. Now, why would you want to give people eternal life if you didn't want to spend eternity with them? So I think chapter 12, verses 20 to 50 has ample evidence for us that Jesus wants to be seen. Secondly, we have to ask the question, how do we see Jesus? It's the 21st century. Jesus has been crucified two millennial ago on the cross. He has been raised from the dead. Scriptures describe this wonderful, mysterious, awesome ascension into heaven. So how do we see him today? And again, I think this passage gives us some clues. The first is, we look for people who know Jesus. That's how most of us find faith in Jesus Christ. Someone invites us to a gathering with other followers of Jesus, and we hear some of the Jesus story. People share their faith personally with us, and we hear some of the Jesus story. People live like Jesus. There's something about their countenance, their care, their grace, their kindness, their gentleness, and yet this gentleness is forged by strength and a grounding, and it points to someone beyond themselves. It's always been the case that God, for reasons that I, I still at times don't understand, God has chosen to make himself known through his people. And so it is that Jesus says to the disciples, go into the whole world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and make disciples, make followers. So the first way that many of us have come to Jesus is by finding people who claim they know him. And for those of us who claim that we know him, that means that we have to put aside everything that would clutter our lives and obscure the simple presence of Jesus in our lives. That might mean ejecting our own personal opinions and judgments because we know it's simply how we think. If I think that is going to clutter, obscure the person, the presence of Jesus Christ, I am not entitled to that. Because as a follower of Jesus, I'm a servant first above all other things. Paul says when he opens all of his letters, what does he say? He says, I am a slave to Jesus. As a slave to Jesus, it's not about what I think, it's about what he thinks. It's not about what I like, it's about whom Jesus likes. It's not about how I love and my inconsistent love, it's about his ever-present love. I have to live in a manner that does not obscure the presence of Jesus so that when I talk about him, people can see him. How that works is a mystery. How people can see beyond this big nose, this monotone voice, this nasal tone, uh, to see and hear Jesus is beyond me. But what's true for me is true for all of us who seek with intentionality to follow Jesus. He makes himself known through us. So the first way we see Jesus today is through those who follow him. Secondly, we behold his glory. Now, glory is a mysterious, magical word. I don't even think we know what glory ultimately is. In Scripture, in the Old Testament, it carries the sense of weight, but God's glory drives people to their knees. Some of us say the sun, the sun that burns in the sky, has a glory to it. And the reality is that the closer you get to that glory, 
the more it's going to hurt until it destroys you. There was a movie years ago about the first, um, the 54th Infantry Regiment out of Massachusetts uh, called Glory. It was the first African-American uh, infantry unit during the Civil War. And this film is about the courage of this unit. And at the end of the movie, they're all dead. You see the battlefield as they try and capture Fort Wagner. And every one of these men in this African-American uh, unit has been killed. And yet the name of the film is Glory. What, what is Glory? It's, it's one of those, for me, ineffable terms that, that caused me to be silent before it. It, it causes deep introspection as, as well as a, just a sense of God's awesomeness being manifest in our mortal presence. And there's a lot of that. God's voice even says, I am glorifying Jesus now. God glorifies Jesus in two ways. First, in Jesus's earthly ministry, and secondly, in his death and resurrection weekend when he's crucified. So how do we see Jesus today? It's going to be largely in how we regard his earthly ministry and how we respond to his death and resurrection weekend. If we ignore his earthly ministry and the words he taught and we disregard the death resurrection weekend, then we probably will miss him. But if we endeavor to, to reflect and consider Jesus' earthly ministry, if we consider and reflect upon his death and resurrection weekend, then, dear ones, uh, we will see Jesus. God promises that. And thirdly, it's so simple, and yet it's a lifelong challenge. Jesus says in verse 26, just follow him. If you follow Jesus, you will see Jesus. It's, it's that simple. If you follow Jesus, you'll see him. That's why Jesus says, hate your own life, that those who hate their own life will find it, and that those who love their own life will lose it. Now, what does he mean by that? Because Jewish rabbis love to speak in hyperbole, and Jesus loves to employ the hyperbole. Take the splinter out of your eye. If your left hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Jesus is not advocating self-mutilation. Uh, nor here is he advocating suicide. So what does it mean to hate your life? To hate your life means this, that you might for a moment hate your life to gain eternity's moment for your life. You see, we live in a very hedonistic age, and so these words re really hit us hard, I think, because the the goal of the Greek world in Jesus' day was the self-actualized man. It was for a man or woman to realize their complete, their full potential and, and, and to do the things that would help you out. And so it was intensely introspective. It was intensely individualistic. And so people would do the things that pleased themselves. For Jesus, our goal is to be like him. There are things that might please Mark, but they're not going to contribute to my being formed in the image of Jesus Christ. And when I discern that what, I, what pleases me is going to, to lead me astray from being like Jesus, then I, in that moment, have to hate my life so that I can gain my life. I wrote it down this way. If you want to keep your life safe forever, you may have to hate it for a particular moment.
Then there's this third question that I would like us to consider. Why are we so afraid to be seen with Jesus? This is one of the things that have, has always troubled me about myself, and, and it always causes me to question what we're about as followers of Jesus Christ, that, that I hear so many of us talk about our faith in Christ, uh, our belief in Jesus. We believe that Jesus came that Jesus was God in the flesh. We echo the words of the Apostles' Creed. We believe in Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He rose again into heaven. We genuinely, we believe in all of this. And yet we go to school, we go to work, we, we mingle with friends and new relationships. And nothing about Jesus comes out. There's an embarrassment. Well, we say we don't want to force him on anybody. We, 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 we don't want to pressure anybody. But the reality is we don't force the fact that, that I like Chick-fil-A or I think um, Bon Thai is the best Thai restaurant in San Diego. I, when, when you share that, you're not forcing that opinion on anybody. You're sharing what's meaningful to you. So what is it that causes genuine followers of Jesus Christ to not want to be seen with Jesus Christ. In chapter 12, it said that, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess Jesus to be the Christ so that they would not be put out, for they loved praise from people more than praise from God. I think there's something in that verse, verse 42, that hits at the core of all of this that somewhere along the line, we, we have rejection issues going on for fear of being put out, for fear of not being included, for fear of not being respected, for losing our influence. Why do we struggle with being seen with Jesus? If there was ever a time for us to live out the grace and kindness and be seen with Jesus, so people can know that there's certainty, that there could be a place of strength, of certainty, of definition to our identity, our standing. It's now. And yet, we're so frightened to be seen with Jesus, and so we align ourselves with policies and understandings that are antithetical to the character and conduct of Jesus Christ. Dear ones, it's, it's our job to be that drawing presence of Jesus in our world today. And so we, ha we have to get at this question. I think for us, this is an essential question. Do we want to be seen with Jesus, with his kingdom, with his cause, with his kindness, with his unconditional grace to meet all people where they're at? His kingdom does not look like the Republican kingdom or the Democratic kingdom or the Antifa kingdom. His, his kingdom has a righteousness and a goodness and a purity that is quite distinct. But if we're not willing to be seen with Jesus, then I fear that we will lose the opportunity that God has given us in this day. And so I want to invite a special friend to come and visit with us this morning about how do we deal with our fear, and especially our fear that would inhibit our desire to be seen with Jesus. Well, faith community, I'm back from the beach and was
told you I wanted to visit with a dear friend. And honestly, last time I spoke or the time before when Beth uh, Barone agreed to visit with me, I got such overwhelming feedback that really what you told me was, Mark, we really enjoyed Bethy. Can we hear from her again? And so um, I, I asked Bethy if she'd be willing to have a conversation with me. And she said yes. And now as we're speaking, I'm thinking I should have just given her the whole message. And that way I could be off the hook for preaching on 30 verses. And she could be on the hook for preaching on 30 verses. Uh, but anyways, Bethy, thank you so much for being with me today. It's always wonderful to see you. And um, the only thing that I argue with God about with you is, is that you live in Florida and I live in San Diego. And you and Aldo and the boys can't come over for a barbecue. But someday, hopefully, we can resolve that. Um, yeah. So I was just visiting with Bethy, and I kind of gave her the sermon in a nutshell that uh, we looked at the Greeks' desire to visit with Jesus, to see him. And we looked at three questions. Does Jesus want to be seen? Uh, how do we see Jesus in the 21st century? And then finally, um, which is the most pressing question on my heart and mind, is do we want to be seen with Jesus? Um, because I know in my own life, um, and as a pastor observing uh, other lives, that we who genuinely love Jesus Christ, we have devotions, we seek to serve him, we want to be women and men of grace and peace uh, in our communities, um, and yet we struggle. And maybe there's something in John's observation about the rulers who believe that they were afraid of two things. They were afraid of being put out or rejected, and they wanted the praise of people, which means that we want to be re respected. We want to be esteemed. And there's something about that in our lives that inhibit our ability to share the love of Jesus Christ and the presence of Jesus. And if there's anything this nation needs more right now, it's less of us and more of Jesus. And so how can we be women and men of peace who are not embarrassed or ashamed to be seen with Jesus? Uh, to You know, Peter, one of the first apostles, was afraid to be identified as being with Jesus. So so this is an apostolic problem. We are not low-life Christians. We share something in common with the first apostle, the man upon whom Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. And he was ashamed. He struggled with the very same things that we do. So, Bethy, can you help us walk that out and discover some truths of God's grace and presence with us that might release us? Uh, to be seen with Jesus with freedom and joy. Yeah, I actually like the subject matter. Um, I'm glad you're talking about, you know, speaking out of John. Um, I think that part of it is understanding what does it mean to be seen with Jesus. If you look at the message of Jesus and you look at how God wants to reveal himself, you'll find that it actually is delightful. The problem is we get this thought in our head of we've got to put Jesus on the end of our finger and jam them down everybody's throat. So I'm not going to jam my finger, especially during COVID, down anybody's throat. But what I learned early on is the Jesus that I know can be revealed by the way I treat people. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, something really powerful that I, I would address it this way. 
it says that no one has ever seen God. And that's true. I have not to date gotten anybody to pull out a photograph of God. Because he says, um, no one has ever seen God, but, this is a big but, when we love one another, and that love would be agape love, which would mean value one another, care for one another, nurture one another, provide for one another. When we do all of that, it says that God comes alive inside of us, and his love perfects us on the way out to them. So what I do is I reveal God by loving people. It's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. That when you know that God is in there just waiting for you to value somebody, and that he's going to partner from the inside, the love that you bring is anointed. It is, is It frees people. The amount of times that one of the jobs I have is I work with uh, a clinic in, in Hawaii, working with the doctors and stuff. And um, sometimes I'll have to sit in the waiting room, and I will intentionally sit next to somebody that looks worried. And I just kind of sit, now not lately because of COVID, but I'll sit there and get into a, a dialogue. I don't need to mention God at all, but I'm revealing him through the whole time because I'm seeing them through God's eyes. And in the situation that we're in today with COVID, everybody's stressed, everybody's worried. So if we can stay connected to God and view people through God's eyes, then they see God. In fact, one of the things I like to do, and you've been in a meeting when I've done this, uh, so Mark, so you might kind of giggle at it. I will say to people, who here would like to see what God looks like? Everybody kind of giggles. I say, no, no, I can show you what he looks like. Physically, I can show you what he looks like. And if you play with them enough, they kind of go, what is she going to do? What I do then is have them get up and genuinely hug each other. And they can't help but laugh because there's love in joy and joy in love. God is love, and when we love one another, he shows up inside of us. So I think we've got to get away from the, put Jesus on your finger, and, and you need to convert to my religion so I can take a post that I have not been afraid to show that I, I have a relationship with you. The final piece of it is really fun. As you know people and you're behaving in this way, what begins to happen is they begin to say, you're different than others. Really? And when they said that to me when I was in the mental hospital, I didn't like it. But now it's not bad. And so they'll say, you're different. And, and uh, I work with a lot of marketplace leaders. And if I told you how many have received Christ just based on what I said, because they finally ask, why are you so nice to me? Where do you get that kind of wisdom? What? Oh, well, I have a relationship with, with God. Oh, you go to church. No, I didn't say I go to church. I do, but I have a relationship with God, and that's what he provides. They can't stand that. Well, what do you mean he provides it? So now they're asking for a description. So I never push a description. I just volunteer Jesus in me being the hope of glory. So I think that the way I would walk people through that and the way I live through it is I just openly share what God wants them to know, not based on my religion and connected to it at all. A lot of us have been conditioned that the minute that door squeaks open, that we've got to bring the whole load of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you begin to engage and tell the Jesus story? Me, the Jesus story is understanding the goal of Christianity. Back up a little bit because we're having trouble with your sound. Sorry. The goal, turn that up a little bit. Sorry. 
The goal of Christianity is to love God and love people. Those are the two commandments. So as we love God, what happens is our soul gets healthy. And as our soul is healthy, we're able to love people that nobody can love. The porcupines in the world. When you hug a porcupine, you bleed, so everybody avoids it. But when you love somebody, it isn't then to bring them to a place of religion. It's to bring them to a place of relationship. So if you are understanding the goal of reaching somebody for Christ, it's not conversion. It's health. If they can be restored into the, uh, what God had originally had in his mind when he created humanity. I never look at people as needing to be converted to my religion. But I do look at where people are in their ability to relate God and to each other. And what you'll find is that when people, uh, boy, we're feeling it now. What, what is COVID? What are they screaming the most about? I've been put in this freaking box, and I'm lonely, and I'm empty, and I need relationships. And guess what? Facebook doesn't work. Yeah. I, I need people. I need people with skin on. We, we need to love and be loved. That is a part of how we're designed. And that need is so tripped up by a world of performance and a world of darkness and a world of confusion that people are, are, are running on empty. So as we begin to fill their, their tank with being valued and loved, they will say, where do you get this water from? That's what they're going to ask. I mean, it would blow you away, literally, how many marketplace leaders that are receiving Christ in my office. They're not afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of religion and church. So as you, as you talk about that, let's switch in some of the time that we have remaining. And I'd like to explore with you, how is it that fear of rejection, fear of losing the esteem of others that we love, how do those exist or how can those exist side by side with a genuine belief in Jesus? And how can we begin to move from that? Because it says right there in John that they genuinely believed. John's not saying they didn't believe, they genuinely believed, but because of their fear of being put out and because of their love of praise from others, um, they wouldn't speak publicly. So how do those exist side by side in us? Because I don't know of a person, including myself, who hasn't felt guilty for that at some point or another and and how can we begin to be enjoy the freedom that jesus has for us because he wants us out there sharing his love with others first key is to work out your love for god and to understand there's fire out there covid is a massive burning fire and not the kind that we have right now that's one piece of the puzzle the other piece of the puzzle is to know that Jesus never preached the things that they weren't asking for in the sense that he didn't make them feel guilty like they needed to be saved. He invited them to a healthier life. He invited them to be free. So our invitation isn't toward letting me tell you everything I know about God and your kingdom. It's letting me introduce my friend Jesus to you. That's for me as worked hands down. When people know that you really care, 
they see a difference in your heart. And if your mind is on freeing them, not on converting them, they're open. But if my friends react at me being overly kind and loving to somebody, they need their head examined. <laughs> if I'm converting people, then I need my head examined. Because Jesus Look at the way he talked to people, the women at the wedding. She was so rude to him. I mean, he can I have a glass of water? Who are you to ask me? He was a Samaritan, which meant we don't get along, we fight. Jews think you're better than us, so we'll go in a way you have it at the well. Jesus didn't react to that. He said, well, if you knew who it was that was asking, you'd ask me for water, and i give you water. You'd never thirst again. He said, well, where's your bucket? Not even kind on that. Well, finally, she, she becomes dating, and he got her water. Did he ever get water out of the well? No, he said, go get your husband. I'll have one. You're right. He didn't say, you liar. You've been married. Do you have any idea what a sinner you are? Instead, he was after freeing her. So now, what, the reason I'm bringing that story in is he took her to three levels. The first level was that he knew about her life and she didn't need to be ashamed or afraid. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And Obviously, he didn't make her feel bad because she then engaged in a deeper question. He said, you Jews say that we need to worship here or there, so what's the deal? He said, well, part of that's true, but, you know, the, the worship that we like is a praise that comes from, from truth and reality. And by the way, that's about to happen for you right now. So now he's captured her heart. He captured her intellect. He's captured her heart. And then she said, you know, we hear that the Messiah is coming. He says, well, I'm he. Do you know he hadn't told his disciples that yet? But he told her he revealed himself to her because he knew it was time. And then what happened? I love this part. She goes home to town. All his disciples that had gone to lunch come in. All they came back was with full tummies. She brings the whole town back that they didn't reach anybody. And how did she do it? Come meet the man that will tell everything about you. Every area of failure in your life, he'll know about it. How would you like to send the church out to do that? Okay, ring on the bells. Next Sunday, we're going to have a prophet, and the prophet will stand up and share everything that you do wrong. That's basically what she's saying. They all knew what she was. The whole town came. So why did the whole town come? Because she wasn't ashamed. That's where the shame. I'm not ashamed. I'm ashamed of me. I'm not registered. I'm a work in progress. I've embraced my fallen humanness. I know God's bigger than that. So when you are secure in who you are with God, you don't really care what people think. And what did the people say that came? He didn't tell us that half of how amazing. But say half of how great you are. You know, they met him. She was just the introduction, and then she knew how to back away. But I got to believe when they saw that she was no longer ashamed, they wanted to have Because there isn't a person out there that doesn't want freedom from shame. Yeah. 
And there's now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. We've got the ticket. We've got the good news. The good news is you want to be loved and valued? Understood. The good news is you don't want to be ashamed? Understood. We have the good news. It gets messed up when we try to make it into a, a race of conversion. Yeah, and what you're saying, I think, what strikes me as you're saying it is that we need to stop feeling this pressure to tell the whole story in one go, that like Jesus with the woman, you tell that part of the story, which is germane to the person that you're sharing with. Yeah. Um, you, you introduce them to, to the Jesus that would meet them in that moment. You don't introduce them to a one-volume commentary on who Jesus is. You introduce them to Jesus relating with them in the moment. Yeah, in fact, uh, in your message, the last verse that you go to, Jesus said, I only say that which my father tells me to say, and in the manner that he told me to say it. Yes. So are you checking in with God about what you're saying? Yeah. Or are you just giving them what you know about Christianity? you got to see the people through his eyes. I think there's a lot of us that are raised under the pressure that the goal of the conversation is not that they would experience the love of God, but that they would get their get out of hell free card. Well, if you would understand that the reason Jesus came back was to reconcile us back, yeah. what was reconciling us to? Our capacity to love God and love people. Yeah. Who doesn't want to learn about loving people? Good news. Man, I came out of a mental institution. I am so grateful that there was a being that knew how to help me. And when I failed, he was bigger than me. Yeah. Because everyone wants to love and to be loved. That's a need that we have because we're created in the image and likeness of God. God is in us. He's a triune being that is one. Well, I apologize for that abrupt ending with Bethy. The sound got so bad that it just didn't pay for me to continue with the edit. However, as she was talking about the need for us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, I couldn't help but feel bummed that Carol and I are going to miss next Saturday's worship gathering. We will be in northern Arizona for the wedding of our nephew, and so we will have to look forward to the next time that we can all gather together. In the meantime, know that we love you, we miss being with you, and we look forward to gathering with you soon. God bless you all.